right, thank you guys. This has uh, been a great, great weekend. Um, quickly, hopefully everybody got a, a bulletin, and I, I would just draw your attention. There's a, couple, a lot of things going on, and um, a few things that are happening actually this week. Men's softball, it's not too late, guys, to sign up. Please, please sign up. Um, I'm really just hoping to be the bench coach this year. It's all I really want to do. <laughs> I'll cheerlead, for, I'll play, I'll coach first, maybe third. Um, but we need as many willing and able bodies as possible. Um, um, my friend Bart Gunner's here, and I remember when I was fairly new to Tallahassee, I played in a church softball team. And I think we were pretty much like the bad news bears. I mean, it was, it, back then it was cool though. I will tell you this, I was the young guy on the team. <laughs> the roles have reversed a bit now. And so um, uh, and Jody was there too, and we, we had some good times. But, but guys, if, if, if you're interested in softball, there's a practice today. Uh, Matt Caldwell's kind of towards the back. Yeah, if you just see Matt, um, he can kind of give you some directions. One o'clock, I think. Meridian Park, our first game, we need a cheering section. Um, first game is this Thursday night. Matt, what, what time is it? 7.45 over at Tom Brown Park. So, um, yeah, if you guys can make it, that'd be awesome. We'd, we'd, we'd love it, guys, especially. Um, it'd be good times. And then uh, just make sure you look that over. Um, check out our website and Facebook and all that kind of stuff to make sure you're in the loop, know what's going on and all that kind of good stuff. We had a tremendous weekend with our, our first youth retreat. And I really do want to, um, before we get into the message, just make a few um, thank yous. And I, I know when, whenever you do this, you get in dangerous waters because you miss somebody. Um, but, but really, um, Khaki and Bop, we need to, this is, they're affectionately known now as Khaki and Bop. Um, they they um, were so hospitable to all of us, and they let us come out to the farm for the weekend. And it was, it was, it was killer time. It was, it was so much fun. Uh, Miss AK um, and, and Becky, Larry Moore, um, they did so much work involved with this. But obviously, Pastor Ryan, Jacob, and um, Miss Bonnie helped lead worship, and they did a great job. Matt did, um, and Dennis did the rec time. Kaylin Harrington was like the girl's leader, right? I mean, the leader of the women. Right, and so uh, they had a good time. Um, I, I remember walking afterwards. I guess it was the last small group session, and I, I saw them um, out in the field. I think we had a picture of them. They were just in this big circle, holding hands, praying. I'm like, man, how awesome is that? That is so cool. So um, the girls did that, and the guys were around the fire, making fun of each other, probably. But <laughs> but it just shows the difference between guys and girls. But but it was a great. I mean, we had so much fun. Uh, so many good things, so many memories. Uh, it was just a blast. And, and those pictures just only give you a glimpse of what took place. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm so looking forward to, to what God has in store for, for our, our youth. Um, we're, we're blessed. I, you know, pastor Ryan was making a joke. That, that's the honest truth. He's the associate pastor, just simply for me, so I can just say, if it's something I don't want to do, Ryan gets to do it. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I love it that way. It's, it's awesome. And he graciously does it, and, um, and he does it so well. And truth be said, you guys that were there last night realize that he's a much better preacher than I am. Um, that's the honest truth. But he, he did a tremendous job. 
and uh, the youth hopefully picked up so much, and it was, it was just a good weekend, and you know, those of you who might be here for the first time or, or are still new realize that, that this morning marks six months, that we're six months old as a church, right? That's cool, that's exciting, yeah, that's fun, and um, we're still a baby, we're still an infant, right? Just like a regular six-month-old. Um, we're, we're still in the growing stages, and, and, and things are developing. And uh, um, my heart is is this: um, when we when we talk corporately, what, as, as far as the church, my prayer every, every day I I pray for this for Redemption Hill. I pray that God brings us people who do not know Jesus, who are far from Jesus, or need a place of refuge. That's that's what I hope. Redemption Hill Church becomes a, a church where people that don't know Christ come to know him people who are far from him Come back home and find him and then those who just need a, a safe refuge a, a family um, That's what I hope that we become My heart really is for young families and those of you who know me, I, you know, I, I prior to this I was a youth pastor student pastor I, I, I love middle school, high schoolers, um, children. I've got four little ones now, and um, my oldest one turns nine. I was thinking, this is, this is what's crazy. Um, like, Mackenzie's like three years away from being in middle school. I'm like, that's no, seri- that's no way. You know, it's, it can't be that fast, but it goes by so quickly. Um, I, I will tell you this. The reality is this with Redemption Hill. We want to be a complete church, a full church. We're not going to say, we're not, we're not trying to target young or old or middle class, upper class, whatever rate. We're just, we're going to be a church. We're, we're, we're going to worship Jesus together. But I'm going to tell you this, that our resources, that as we steward those things, we want to be missional, we want to do these different things. But we're going to put heavy emphasis on our children and our youth. Um, because our children, the little ones, are the church of tomorrow. You guys that are here today, I told you guys this the other day, you're not the church of tomorrow. You guys are the church of today, okay? I mean, you, you guys are. You, you guys are the building blocks. You're, you're there in the trenches with us as we're putting the stones together. You guys are, are helping us out. And so I want you guys to realize how important you are to me and to Pastor Ryan and to the church as a whole. And so our first retreat, we had like 18 kids. How amazing is that? That's awesome. So let's, guys, good job. Nicely done. I mean, they, they were amazing. We didn't have anybody get in trouble, uh, at least that I know of. Um, uh, it was just a great time. It, the fun part, we got there that night and getting things set up. And the next thing you know, you look over and they're all just playing. Like we didn't even organize it. They're just playing with each other. They're, just having, they're having some kind of chicken race thing or whatever. We had guys doing, we, I saw more guys doing cheerleading than girls. It was the weirdest thing, right? I mean, it was, but they had so much, they had so much fun. And that's really what it's all about. I mean, uh, in my favorite, uh, one of my favorite parts, and this is my sales pitch to those who might be visiting for the first time or it's been a while. Last night, we kind of concluded the evening with a dinner and we invited the, the, the parents to come pick up their kids, <laughs> but, but also just have a dinner and then engage in the last session. And um, we happened up, Courtney and I, and my parents were sitting with the Caldwells, and we were just kind of talking. And um, 
Allison Caldwell goes, you know what? This doesn't feel like church. It feels like a family reunion. And guys, that's what, that's what we want. We often refer to our church as a faith family. Okay, we want to be a family. That's, that's the New Testament church. That's the church in Acts. That's, that's, there's no concern about a building. It's all about coming together and fellowshipping and hanging out and, and, and reading and teaching God's Word, but just being family together. I'll be crazy cousin Eddie. That's fine. <laughs> but we're just going to be family. And, and, and so... I love it. I, I'm just so, just so thankful for the spirit of everybody and what God has been doing and what I know God will continue to do. So thank you guys so much um, for everything. It was a, a tremendous weekend. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to John chapter 5. Um, I'm, I'm going to preface this morning a little bit that um, I'm, I'm a little tired from a weekend. Um, I'm not feeling very well. And I want to preface that by saying, you know, I wasn't feeling very well for a couple of days now. Um, last evening, Jody Hill gave me some drugs. <laughs> we're not exactly sure what they were. Um, he says you're purchased at a local CVS or something, but we're hoping that. And then Courtney gave me some drugs this morning. So if, if it just goes way out there, then it's going to be either the drugs or the Holy Spirit, one or two. Okay, so if it's good, it's the Holy Spirit. If it's bad, we'll blame it on the drugs. Okay, you guys tracking with me? All right, so John chapter 5. Um, we're going to look at verses 31 through 47. We've been working through the Gospel of John. And um, one of the reasons I love this expository style of, of teaching is we just start verse 1 of the first chapter and you just work through the book of the Bible and you see how it all flows together. And so this particular chapter starts the first 18 verses is this miracle that Jesus performs. There's this lame man, um, and they would gather, they had been rejected by the temple, the big church. Uh, and they would congregate around this pool, this was called the Pool of Bethesda. And there was this myth during this, this day that every once in a while an angel would come down, and it would stir this pool. And, and whoever the first one into the pool after it was stirred would be healed. And so you have this, this whole group of people that's congregating around there. That are, it's the, they're the outcast of Jerusalem. They've been rejected by the church, rejected by everybody. So they, they go there hoping for a miracle. Jesus comes to the scene. He's, he's going to the temple to worship. It was a, a feast. We don't know exactly which feast it was, but he was, he was in Jerusalem to worship the temple. He goes, the first thing he does entering Jerusalem is he goes to this place of outcasts. And while he's there, he, he, he finds this one man who had been lame. The Bible tells us had been lame for 38 years. I'm, I, I'm 38 myself. So even my entire life, got my age probably, he was born with this illness. He had been lame for 38 years. And Jesus walks up to him and, and asks if he'd like to be healed. And the man's response was, yeah, 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 but there's, there's nobody, I, I, there's, I don't have a person to help me get into the pool. Every time I try to get there, someone jumps in front of me. 
And so Jesus tells him to get up and walk, grab his bag, sleeping bag, and go home. He does that instantly. Gets up, walks, runs, jogs, cartwheels around the pool a few times, does the Heisman like Pastor Ryan did in that one picture. What? But he gets up and he goes home. As he's walking with his sleeping bag, the Pharisees, the, the religious authority, the religious rulers of the day, they see him walking with the sleeping bag. Today we'd say, well, that's no big deal, right? Except it occurred on the Sabbath, their day of rest. The Pharisees had created these laws. Okay, it started with a good thing. Remember, day of rest. Read about it in Deuteronomy, a commandment Moses made. The intent of that was for the people to, to step back, to refresh their, their, their bodies, but more importantly, to reflect on God and how great he was. But the Pharisees, they took that one commandment and they built all these rules to the point when it was recorded literally on paper, it took up 23 chapters of one rule. And so now they go to this man. What, what, what's going on? You know, why are you carrying this backpack? It blows my mind. This guy had been lame for 38 years. They knew this guy. They had seen this guy. Jerusalem was not that big. They knew who it was. And rather than celebrate how great and amazing and how powerful God is, they're going to get on him for carrying his backpack or his sleeping bag. Ridiculous, right? And this man is very quick to pass the buck on Jesus. I'm just doing what he said. And so after they deal, after they deal with this lame man who had been healed, they go and they hunt down Jesus. And then last week there was this big debate about the Sabbath. Who owns the Sabbath? And, and last week we talked about these six declarations that Jesus makes. When those Pharisees come to him, rather than him deny, he endorses their accusations and says, yes, I am the Son of God. Yes, I am the Messiah. And he gives six bold declarations that last week we said, when you look at all six of those declarations, it demands a response. You are either going to accept it or reject it. So often today we, we will talk about people, very few of us in in the area in which we live, you have a conversation with somebody aren't going to be as bold and as blatant to, to completely deny Jesus. Most will say, even if they're not overly religious, maybe not even a believer, will say that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher. Probably, if you read the Bible, you'd probably learn a lot of good life lessons. Maybe those who even have some religious undertones would say, he was a prophet, he was a good prophet. But I don't know about this whole God thing. Jesus makes these declarations, and afterwards, that thought, those, those ideas that people have, are impossible. If you got the newsletter this past week that I kind of typed up, I referenced Josh McDowell, who made this statement, kind of coined the phrase about Jesus, saying that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Right, like he makes those statements and he's either a bold faced liar that he knows that's not him, but he's gonna he's gonna say it anyways, and he's gonna try and convince you otherwise. He's gonna try and convince you to do that. So he's either a bold faced liar 
or the guy's nuts. He, he, he thinks that, but, right? He's either one of those two things, or he really is the Lord. If you're not going to say he's the Lord, then are you going to really trust a liar or a lunatic? No. And so when we look at those things, we say it demands a response. And the most logical response is to accept it. That's not good enough for the Pharisees. And so this, this next section is a continuation in this idea of Jesus and his discussion with the Pharisees. And this, these discussions take place over several days, maybe even weeks. And so this morning, let's look at, um, at John chapter 5. And this morning we're going to look, and it's, it's, we have this sense, this belief that, that we almost are going into a courtroom. And rather than the, the Jews, the Pharisees, these religious leaders, grabbing Jesus and taking him into a literal courtroom, they're going to create this makeshift courtroom and bring it to Jesus. And they're going to hope that this court of public appeal will fall on their side. Before we get too deep into this, let's look at, at, um, at John chapter 5, verse 31. Because this kind of sets the stage of what's going to take place. And, and Jesus says, If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Okay, so during this time, the Jewish uh, procedure when it came to, to, to court, to law, was that if it was just one man's testimony, it had very little value. But if you had two, three, four people that would agree with what took place and they would have the same testimony, then it would have depth. It would be undeniable. It would be the certain proof. And so Jesus now was, he's starting to play by their rules. He says, okay, you're, you're, you're the Jewish religious leaders. According to your system, I need to have several witnesses. So let's go. Jesus is going to entertain them with his witnesses. And so this morning we're going to read, we're going to look at five different witnesses that Jesus um, will call to the stand, if you will. I'm going to give you all five, and then we're going to try and dissect them a little bit um, this morning. The first witness, witness number one, we see in verse 32, and then later on in verse 37 through 38 is God the Father. God the Father. Witness number two, John the Baptist. We see that in verse 33 and 35. Witness number three, Jesus' own signs, his miracles, uh, in verse 36. Witness number four are the scriptures, the Bible, verse 39 through 44. And then the fifth witness that Jesus will call to the stand is Moses, the Jews' great prophet. Their most loved person, the one that they had been following. We see in verse 45 through 47. Let's first look here at the first witness. Um, John 5.32 says this, There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that testimony that he bears about me is true. Well, who is that other? If you um, hop down a little bit to verse 37, it says, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have 
his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. If you were to um, turn back into Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it's the passage that, that talks about Jesus being baptized. Jesus was baptized, says that, that God the Father said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. See, God the Father, God the Father was the one that endorsed, that validated Jesus. Some of these others that we'll talk about later on, um, John the Baptist will validate him. Jesus didn't need John's validation. Jesus didn't need the approval of other individuals. Jesus' own work wasn't even his concern. The only thing he strived to do, the entire time he walked the face of this earth, those 33 years, was to honor God, his Father. It's interesting because um, in that verse 32 that we read initially, John could have used um, either of two Greek words for another, um, allos or heteros. Heteros would mean another of a different source. Allos would mean another of the same source or the same sort. The term that he uses is allos, this another of the same sort that Jesus himself was another of the same one, the same essence, the same being, God. Let's go down to the second one. Verse 33. The second witness. You have sent John that he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, oh, bear witness about me, I'm sorry, I'm going a little forward here. To, to John, John the Baptist. You guys remember, we talked about John the Baptist early on in this book. He was the forerunner, his, his own cousin. John's an amazing character in the Bible. He's the guy that went around and he, he looked like a nutcase. He's wearing camel's hair. He's eating locusts and honey. He's, he's like the duck dynasty of the old days. Okay? But all these people begin to follow him. And he's declaring and he's telling people about this coming Messiah. He knew Jesus and was not afraid to tell people about Jesus. And then once Jesus comes to the scene, he points them out and tells the people, there's the Messiah. That's him. And he walks away. He backs away. Amazing. Jesus himself, towards the end of his own ministry, refers back again to John the Baptist in John's declaration of him being the Messiah. During this time, we, we know that, that the religious authorities had hunted down 
John the Baptist. They were upset. They were bothered by him. Because the, the, the crowds are following him. He's talking about this coming Messiah. It just did not match up with what they wanted. So that's the funny thing about us. So often we only want to accept the facts that match up the lifestyle that we want. And here we have John saying, listen, this is the Messiah. They were expecting something completely different. They, they wanted this Messiah to show up in a very militant manner. He would come in and he would conquer the area, conquer the land, and he would be like this forcible military presidential type person. And they wanted their kingdom restored. They wanted the glory. And that's not how Jesus marched in, is it? And John the Baptist says, this is the Messiah. This is him. Although he was hunted down by the religious authorities, none doubted that he was a true prophet of God. Let's call our third, our third witness. Verse 36 that I began to start reading a moment ago. It says this, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me. The Father has sent me. Jesus says, listen, the, here's the third one. My signs, the miracles, the things that I perform. The Gospel of John records seven different miracles that Jesus performed. Jesus did more than seven miracles. The Bible tells us earlier in, in, the, in the Gospel of John that he performed many more signs. John just chooses to record seven of them. Now, do the signs themselves, the miracles that Jesus performed, is he the only one that performed miracles? No. The Bible tells us other ordinary men performed miracles. Elijah, Moses, all those things that Moses did. Paul. They're still called, they're still sent by God, right? Absolutely. There's a difference. Moses, Elijah, Paul, never, not one time, ever claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus did. Last week, with those six declarations, those first five, he's speaking in the third person. God the Father, or God the Son, Son of Man. And we get to that final statement. And he goes from the third person to the first person. And he says, I am. Jesus called himself the Son of God. Jesus said he was equal with God. And so he says, these are my signs. They validated. They believed during this time when miracles would, would occur that it was a stamp of approval from God on a person, on a man. And so Jesus, okay, guys, you want your proof. One witness is not enough. My word's not enough, so let's, let's, let's do this. Let's draw the witnesses in. God the Father, he endorsed me. He's the one that from heaven came down, shouted down, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist, the one you all know is a prophet of God. He's the one that pointed me as the Messiah. He's the one that said, there he is. There's the Lamb of God. Follow him. 
my signs, the wonders, the things that I have done. We need more? Okay, let's go. Our fourth witness, the Scriptures. John 5, 39 through 44 says this. You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. That is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory of the Father, glory that comes from only God? Jesus says, listen, you guys, you Pharisees, you're, you're the guys that know the Bible. You're the ones that read the Scriptures. That, that, that term there, um, search the Scriptures. That Greek word, um, really, if we were to translate it, means to track the scent. To track the scent. Like a lion or a bloodhound tracking the scent. It's the same idea. And Jesus says, he, he, he says, guys, listen, fine, search the Bible, search the scriptures. We would do well to follow that same search. If we would, would sniff out that, that scarlet blood of the cross and follow Jesus and find Jesus in the Bible and follow that path, that trail, we would do well. In this particular passage, though, we see that these Pharisees, they knew the Bible. They had had knowledge. It was in their hands. But they never allowed that head and hand knowledge to travel to their hearts. This weekend, we were talking about evangelism with the youth. It's one of those key parts of evangelism in relationship, our relationship with God. Some of us can spend our entire lives in church and be as lost as an inmate in death row. We have the head knowledge. We know everything. But we don't believe it. We don't honestly believe it. And that's where these Pharisees were. They knew it. They memorized it. Doctrinally, they could give you everything you needed to know. But it never penetrated their hearts. Sometimes we can be quick to judge people. It's sad sometimes because I think... Um, Earlier this morning, I said that my, my prayer for Redemption Hill is that we become a church that the lost, that those who do not know Christ come, those who are far from Christ return, and those who need a refuge, a safe place can come. 
It's unfortunate because too often churches become a place where a firing squad's lined up waiting to shoot at all of our flaws. Um, I, I don't want us to ever be this church that feels like we have to put on special clothes on Sunday morning to pretend like life is great. Like we have all of our stuff together. Does nobody any good. I don't want us to have to put on an act for those around us. If, if we truly become a faith family, like Al said, if it's more like a family reunion than church, then we can be real. Family can be real with each other, right? We can talk. We may not always agree on things, but we can talk. We can love each other through that. But sometimes we memorize verses, we, we look at the Bible, we have all these things, and we use it as instruments of destruction to hurt people, to point out their flaws. Because if I can point their flaw out before they can find mine, the attention's on them, and I'm okay. And I hope that never becomes Redemption Hill. I hope that we always are a faith family, that we love each other, that we're real with each other. Family helps each other out. We all have, we will have high points in life and we'll have low points in life. My prayer is those who are at the high points, they can reach down and help those in the low points and help them up. Because one day, one day that person up top will be down here and you will be up there. And it's then that you can help Return the favor. That's real church, guys. That's real family. It's not pretending like everything's perfect. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Like this Sunday, like, I told them outside, like, I could dig this <laughs> jeans and t-shirt. I, I really could. Like, it's a little dangerous. Um, I, I, this could become my Sunday attire real quick, real easy. Um. I believe that we need to show reverence and respect and all that stuff to God for sure. But our life should be no different on Sunday than it is on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Our life should be no different from Sunday morning from 10 till 11.30 than it will be at 11.35 when we get in the car and we start with the argument we had before church. <laughs> None of us are perfect, guys. I'm not, I'm, not saying we ever sh I'm not saying that it should be a Disney movie our whole lives. Everything should be glorious and, and happy and fun. But I'm just saying, let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's not hide behind these things. The Pharisees built a religious empire of rules and regulations. Folks, and they used the Bible to do it. I'm not saying we don't use the Bible. We do. We use the Bible. We read the Bible. We, we meditate over the Bible. We eat it. We breathe it. 
We speak it. But we don't do it just to gain knowledge. You guys, this weekend, you spent, you learned 12 things for evangelism, right? Those 12 steps. Listen, that's a great, that's amazing. If we had a pop quiz right now, you guys would probably all get 100% because Pastor Ryan and Hunter were amazing teachers. But if you never use it, it does nothing, does it? It does nothing. You might have all the answers to the test, but our life is not a test. It's not about how much we know. It's about what we do with what we know. And I my hope my prayer, my prayer for you guys is this. You guys know it. You go share it. And next year, next, next session, we had 18 this time. My, my prayer is we have 36 the next. Because you each found somebody. You used those 12 steps with somebody. And you were able to lead that person to Christ. Someone who was far from her, didn't know him. You were the instrument that God used rather than just memorizing 12 steps. Allow that head knowledge to become heart knowledge. That was the problem the Pharisees always had. It was just here. They rejected him. Because one, it did, there was two reasons why they rejected One, it didn't match up with what they wanted. They wanted this military leader to come in to be their Messiah. Not a poor carpenter. They wanted a, a literal kingdom restored there. They weren't concerned with an eternal kingdom in heaven. So they rejected him because it didn't match with, what they, what they, with their idea, what they wanted. And the other part was their own pride. They were blinded by their own pride. Because if they could keep these rules, if they could do it, it became about their own actions, the things that they did, not about God's grace. That was that third component we learned yesterday, or I guess that first night, Friday night, that God's gracious. It's my favorite attribute of God is His grace. Because without it, without God's grace, none of this means anything. Without God's grace, Jesus doesn't leave heaven to come to earth. And if Jesus doesn't leave heaven to come to earth, and then remember life, death, resurrection, if that, none of that occurs, then us, we, sinners who are separated, rebelled, separated, and dead to our sin, have no chance to go to heaven. So John calls these witnesses God the Father John the Baptist his own signs the scriptures and then the final one that he calls is Moses John 5.45 says um, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father there is one who accuses you Moses on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, 
How will you believe my words? Moses, their, their great prophet, the one they looked up to. Their belief was this, that Moses was the greatest of prophets until the Messiah would come. All these rules and regulations, most of them came from or began with the law of Moses. And Jesus says, listen, the one that you think is going to be your Savior, Moses, no, he's going to be your judge. The law, the law was never created, was never created for us to keep entirely so we could earn our way to heaven. The law was to show us that we're all sinners. To show us that we're all sinners, that we can't do it ourselves. There's no way for us to do it ourselves. And again, Jesus is saying, listen, you know Moses. You read his rules. You read his laws. You know what he says. But as much as you lift up Moses, you don't even believe what he says. Because if you believe what he said, you would accept me. Because he wrote about me. Five witnesses. God the Father, John the Baptist, Jesus' signs, the Scriptures, and Moses. Five. Five witnesses that day Jesus called to the stand that would back up his six declarations. And yet the Pharisees would continue to reject him. My prayer for us is that we as I said earlier allow this book to become much more than a textbook. It's the greatest book ever written. It amazes me that God would inspire men to write this. I believe with all my heart this book is fully inspired, infallible. I don't believe there's an error in this book. And how precious it is to think That he did this for us. That he wrote this for us. He did not write it for us to just get caught up and get big-headed over, oh, I read this thing. I read, it, I read it three times, cover to cover. I can memorize two books of the Bible. I know all the books in order. I can recite the Ten Commandments forwards and backwards. I might even can recite it in Greek. Or Hebrew, I guess it'd be Hebrew, wouldn't it, Ryan? Right? 
You're the Hebrew scholar. Sorry. I tell you, he's a better preacher than I am. This is a love story written to us. About a Savior. Who left heaven and all of his glory. Ah, just, just the idea. Just the, I mean, guys, picture this. Like, we can't even comprehend what heaven's like. It, it's it, like, we're big Disney fans. Like, the Clements, we love Disney, right? We just, if we could afford to buy the apartment in Cinderella's castle, like, <laughs> we would be there. But, like, let's say, like, like you and your, all your best friends, it was just you at Disney for the day. Nobody else. You, you had total, complete access. You could go to whatever restaurant, eat whatever food, free of charge. There was never a wait on a line. You, I mean, you had the fireworks show. I mean, it was everything for the entire, everything. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? Guys, that would be a bad day in heaven. You know that? As, as great as that could be, that wouldn't even compare to what heaven's going to be like. The flip side of that is as bad of a day you can think of in your mind. Maybe the worst day that you've experienced in your life pales in comparison to one second in hell. How Jesus could leave that glorious place in heaven and come here on earth in and of itself is amazing. And then live here for some 33 years. And then become the sacrifice for us. To accept something that we each deserve. But to do something that none of us could. We had a section in this weekend where we talked about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And one of the things I think it was, I'm not sure if it was Pastor Ryan or, or Hunter, we talked about Jesus and the cross. And today, when we look at a cross, we, we see it in, in jewelry. And we see all these nice, beautiful things, and it becomes this nice, precious symbol. But we forget that that cross was a symbol of execution. I've never seen somebody walking around with a necklace with an electric tray on it. But that's what it would be like, guys. That cross would be like an electric tray today. That beating, the beating that even led up to the cross was something more than we could endure. But he did all that for us. 
He, he loved us that much to leave heaven and then come here and then to die on a cross for us. What Jesus says is it's not about the rules. It was never meant to be about the rules. You cannot do it. And praise God, we can't. Because he did. And he offers it to us free of charge through his grace. All we need to do is allow that knowledge to travel from our heads to our hearts. And then believe with our mouths and our hearts. My prayer for us, though, is one that we do that. But we do not follow the Pharisees' example. But we allow that Bible to penetrate us and to change us. And we live lives of grace and love. And we show his example. Let's pray.